0: Let's have a quick look at fear, is there any, any fear in my heart? Now, I'm a dairy farmer out there at Gordonton, and I've been quite challenged about this over the years too, all sorts of different fears that I've been holding on to. One of the things I used to get to quite fearful was about droughts. Droughts, you know, you've got lots of cows to feed and no, no um, rain. Droughts, and you just can't feed the stock. So droughts and payouts were one of my great fears as a dairy farmer. So I've been studying this whole thing of, is some forms of fear, is that actually sin? And we've had some quite good discussions around that, <laughs> family discussions in other groups as well too. Now I'm not talking about the fear of the Lord, you know, the fear of the Lord, that's like a, an awe and a reverence for Him. What I'm really talking about is um, fears that sort of paralyze, fears that stopping us doing the things that He wants us to do, cripple us. part of the Sozo ministry, which happens here in church, Sozo. And one of the questions that's often asked is, Father God, is the fear door open in my life? And it's not a matter of if. It's like, sorry, yeah, the question is when? When did the fear door first open in my life? So as you go through the Bible there, there's like 360. Somebody said 365, there's actually 366 days, it even covers the leap years. (laughs) 366 verses about fear. And there's also 500 500 verses altogether about fear. So no shortage of verses to study, there. These last summer holidays, Jackie and I were over at the beach, and we went along to one of the services there, and the, the pastor was talking about the spies, you know, Rahab and the spies, and also Joshua and Caleb and the spies, mostly talking about faith, but also about fear. And as I was just sitting there, I felt the Holy Spirit was saying to me that 95% of the people that were sitting there that morning were affected by fear in some way. Now that came quite as a surprise and also a real shock. Well, 95%. So I'm not saying that there's 95% of us here this morning that are affected by fear in some sort of way, but if that were true, no, would you be in that 95% or would you be in that 5%? I had a bit of a chat to the pastor afterwards about that. About that. And I was also quite surprised that he didn't actually disagree with me. We had quite a good chat about it. You know, We were new there, so he came and had a chat to us and uh, we got talking about this. As I studied this a bit more about fear... Also notice that even though fear not is not one of the Ten Commandments, there's probably more written about fear in the Bible than there is about most of the other commandments. I also found that Jesus, look through the whole Bible, Jesus would never influence by fear at all. Now I didn't really sort of know that until a couple of weeks ago, I started looking at it. So you think about it, some of the situations Jesus got into, out out at sea there, storms that were going on, with Satan, other people. Even his death, his betrayal and his death. Fear was not a factor in Jesus' life. Quite interesting. As I was preparing for this morning, I sensed that there might be some here this morning even that have come to salvation by fear rather than through faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, Through faith you have been saved but you might have been so terrified when you heard the, you know, the old hellfire and damnation sermons, which were quite common back in the day. <laughs> that fear actually had more of an influence on you than faith. Rather than the John 3.16, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So fear was a factor in your salvation. So if that's you this morning, or you can recognise any other restricting fear in your own life, as, as you've examined your heart, how about we, we deal with that in a moment when we pray? 1 John 18 says, No, First John 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear does not have to do with punishment. For fear, sorry, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Hebrews 13, 6. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Romans 14, 23 says, everything that does not come from faith is sin. So can fear come from faith? Not really, can it? It's like fear is the opposite to faith. Hebrews 11:6 says, "Without faith, it is impossible to please God." So yeah, fear is like the opposite to faith. Fear can prevent us from walking a life of faith. So how about we pray, Father God, is there anything in my heart that doesn't please You? Is there fear or something else that is not fruit of the Spirit? fruit of the Spirit, influencing how I live my life. Jesus, today I give you permission to deal with these things that I recognize this morning could be holding me back in my own walk with you. Jesus, thank you for choosing to die for me, for willing going through the pain, the suffering and the agony so that I would be free from what I'd otherwise deserve. Don't we Jesus to live my life in a relationship with you and the father according to your truths. Amen. So let's eat and drink together.
1: You are our strength. You are our hope. We put our trust in you. Trust.
2: The Lord says, trust in me. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't rely on what you can see with your human eyes. Trust in me. Trust.
3: presence, knowing that as your word says, trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock, Lord, we can lean into you, the unshakable, the unmovable, the undefinably all-powerful, and know that our lives are absolutely secure. We might not understand everything that's going around us. But when our trust is in you, nothing can harm us. So Father, we give you thanks, we give you praise for the incredible privilege it is, Lord, to be in relationship with you. Maybe take a few moments to express your thanks for the wonderful relationship you have with Jesus. Let it just lift and rise to him. Father, we thank you for relationship. We thank you for connection with you, Lord, that we can be in this place, in this house, expressing our praise and our adoration to You. Oh God, we give You thanks for that, for You're awesome, Lord. There's nothing too difficult for You. Father, thank You for Jesus, who died and hung on the cross, rose from the dead, that we might have life and life to the full. You're awesome, Lord. And we want to say thank You. We praise You, Lord. We declare, we worship You mighty is your name mighty is your name hallelujah and God's so good he is so good God is good yeah God is good yeah we exalt you Lord for you are good Why don't you say that with me? You know the reply. God is good all the time. We can do better. God is good all the time. Good. Give your neighbor a high five and take a seat. Fantastic. You guys are awesome. Church, I'm going to sing to you this morning. And I listen to Sarah and I listen to Owen and I go, oh my goodness, how am I going to compare? So I don't want you to compare me with them at all because it just won't be a good comparison. I don't want to show them up. No, (laughs) no, it's completely the other way around. So uh, it's great to see you this morning. Over the last few weeks, in fact, since uh, the 1st of March, we have heard some amazing testimonies, haven't we? I think of what we heard this morning from Cornelia and the wonderful testimony and around communion that Nigel shared. Uh, last week, 9 a.m. service, Alan Hall was sharing about he and the Property Link team went to a person's yard. They didn't know this person. They knocked on the door and said, Look, I notice your garden needs a bit of attention. Would you like us to do the lawns and tidy up your garden? The person said, Yeah. They went in there did a fantastic job. They, continued that, to meet with that person, they've prayed with that person, and they're going to carry on blessing that family. And I go, when I heard that, I went, yeah! I, on the inside, I was going, yeah, baby! That's what it's all about. 6 p.m. last Sunday night, Ashley Bennett shared about how she was in the supermarket with somebody. Um, and she went to somebody, said, I'll pay for your, your groceries. And I'm going, wow, isn't that cool? I'd love that for somebody to do that for me. Uh, particularly when we had four teenagers at home that would be really handy and uh, this person was just blown away yes thank you that's so much and then Ashley went on and said look I'd love to help prepare some meals with you and this person said look I don't really know how to cook I would just love that isn't that awesome I I remember going back earlier too and and hearing about how Jackie uh, Nigel's wife was in the hospital visiting somebody and across the road, across the, the, the room was, not across the road, across the room, and uh, was this woman who wasn't well, and she went up and started a conversation, I had a chat with her, prayed with her, and led her to Jesus. And I go, isn't that awesome? This is for everybody to share the goodness of God with anybody. Isn't that good? Why don't you say that to your neighbor? This is for everybody to share the goodness of God with Anybody? That's sounding really, really good. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here today. And it's awesome to be in your house to praise you, to worship you. And Lord, as we look into your word, I pray that your word would look into us. Lord, may you fill us with your life and with your truth, transforming us into the image of Jesus, replacing every fear with hope and doubt with faith as we become more and more like Jesus, to express your goodness in this city and beyond, and everyone said, amen. Well, church, before I go any further, I'd like you to put your hands together. Today's a very special day, and I want to welcome Margaret Wilson. It's wonderful to have you with us, Margaret. you had a wonderful recovery and it's great to see you so bless you it's wonderful to have you with us this morning well uh, um, as you know I've been looking at the book of Philippians and uh, who can remember what I shared about it last time that is really encouraging church not one hand I hope you do better this time <laughs> okay I'm going to do a brief recap because it was a little while ago We're going to be looking at the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, predominantly this morning. The Apostle Paul, he wrote 13 or 14 New Testament letters. So he was the most prolific writer in the New Testament. And each of his letters had a particular tone or emphasis. So if you go into the book of Romans, there is Paul, um, the meticulous um, teacher about the doctrine of salvation. He goes into great depth about it to produce this amazing Amazing account of the grace of God and the salvation of mankind. In the book of Corinthians, there's Paul the troublemaker. There's trouble in the church, and Paul's gone on there to sort it out, and that is what he does. In First and 2 Timothy, and the book of Titus, there is fatherly Paul. He is mentoring these younger men, Timothy and Titus and Silas, growing them, nurturing them to become successful ministers of the gospel. So there's a very fatherly Paul. You get to the book of Galatians, and guess what? There's an angry apostle. He preaches about the grace of God, and that's the way to salvation. And these guys move off the track and they get into works, and Paul is really indignant. He's incredibly angry. Who's bewitched you? Who's tricked you that you're on a good path? And now you're on the wrong one. In fact, he gets so indignant about it, his language becomes incredibly strong. And in Galatians 5:12, he says this: "I just wish those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves." Very strong, very aggressive talk. But when we get to the book of Philippians, it's the happiest book in the Bible. He's the optimist. He's triumphant. He's joyful. He's in a good mood. It's just a good story. It's a feel-good story. And uh, Paul just raves about the the church at Philippi. It's a very personal book. And yet it's not because Paul is on on the beach enjoying surf and sunshine. In fact, exactly the opposite. He's in prison. And he writes this letter, not only this letter, but he writes four in total. He writes one to the church at Ephesus. So we have the book of Ephesians. We have the book of Galatians. We have the book of Philemon. And then we have the book of Philippians. And that's what we're looking at um, today in those first a few verses or so of chapter 1 to see how we can express the goodness of God. Now, since no one put up their hand for, um, could remember what I shared last time, we're going to do a brief recap. So if I can have the first slide. So there we are, Philippians, joy for the journey. So here's a map of the biblical world in the time of um, the Apostle Paul. There's Israel, and you'll remember in the early um, chapters of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the the gathering of believers. Peter gets up and preaches, and over 3,000 people are saved. The church is on its way. And so the church, the good news of Jesus, travels north through Israel up into Syria and then goes um, west, so the the gospel goes northwest, into this area of Asia Minor, which we would now call Turkey. And there's places like Ephesus and um, Galatia and Colossus where we get the books of Colossians and and Galatians and and Ephesians and so forth, where Paul is establishing churches, and he really enjoys this area, and he wants to establish more churches in Asia Minor or Turkey. And God says, Paul, you're going too slow. He wants to go up north in this area to Bithynia, and the Holy Spirit says, no way, you're not going there, Paul. I've got another plan. And so he heads over to the coast over here, where the word Asia is. If you just go straight over to the coast on the left-hand side, there comes to a place called Troas. Has a a vision, and there's a vision of a man in Macedonia, which is northern Greece, saying, "Come over to us and preach the gospel." So Paul jumps on a boat, goes across to Philippi, which is not too far where Gallipoli, Gallipoli is to be of interest, comes to a place at the port of Neapolis, walks 1520K, and comes to Philippi, a very significant city in ancient biblical times or biblical times. It was a Roman colony. It was a place where retired um, generals, army generals, and others in the military who were in Rome would get relocated in Philippi. And <clears throat> it was self-governing. Guess what? No taxes. I like that. That would be really, really good in Hamilton. If Hamilton was a colony of Rome in those days, no taxes, guys, I'm in for that one. Not only was it a place of of no taxes, it was a place where the Roman culture was transplanted Roman soil in this place of Philippi, uh, Philippi, so the culture was the same as Rome, the legal system was the same as Rome, the dress and the legal rights and the languages were identical. So in the next couple of slides, give you a bit of a view of how the city of Philippi looked. These are some ancient ruins from Philippi, and this big area here was called the a Forum where they'd have discussions and councils would meet to debate and discuss things. The next slide, some further ancient ruins, and the next slide is the major city called Cavala, which is... Very close to Philippi, 15 kilometres away, uh, to the northwest is Philippi. So there is a major city that's closest to Philippi today. So how did it get its name? Well, it was named after a guy called Philip of Macedon, and around 300, 350 BC, he was the father of Alexander the Great. Well, not bad to have a son called Alexander the Great. He conquered all the known world at the time, and then he died when he was 31. Philippi was very rich in gold and silver and precious metals, and so Philippi Philippi was known for its battles, and it had a very significant battle, uh, 168 BC, and that's when it became a Roman colony. Well, the Apostle Paul visited, uh, we can go back to the next slide, Uh, we'll go back a couple, can we go back? Um, yeah, we'll go to that one. Paul visited Philippi when this was all constructed and a thriving city, and it was around 50 A.D., on a second missionary trip, and you can read about that in Acts chapter 16, really encourage you to do that. And the first Christians in Philippi was a businesswoman by the name of Lydia. She traded purple cloth and purple materials. She was wealthy and wanted to bless Paul. And the other person that started the church there with Paul and his co-workers was a jailer. So you've got a businesswoman and a jailer. And that's how Paul started the church there. So Paul helped this church get underway. And then over the intervening years, he finds himself back in Rome and in prison, most likely in Rome. And there he is. And 10 years later on, he gets a knock on his door one day. He's in jail in Rome. And there's a knock on the door and he goes, hello, who is it? And this man says, it's me, Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus had travelled from Philippi, the church in Philippi. He travelled fourteen hundred kilometres across old dusty roads and scorching suns on uh, scorching sun on camels and and donkeys and sailed boats and got on more camels and donkeys. Got really really sick. Almost died on his journey, and turns up to Paul in Rome, and Paul has gone, Epaphroditus. Mate, it is so good to see you. Isn't it good to see a long lost friend? Well, Paul was saying, this is the day. This is good to see you, Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus, well, I've got a little parcel for you, Paul. Not only have you got me, but I've got this parcel on. Paul goes, what is it? Who loves good presents? Oh, man, I've, I've, I've had a week of good presents being my birthday. It's been good. And uh, Paul gets this parcel and he opens it up. It's a great present for a ministry. It's money. It's money. The church has given Epaphroditus to this money. I think of that movie, Dumb and Dumber, where they open the case with all the money and put IOUs IAU, in it. It was a million dollars, and it ended up with a million dollars of little bits of paper saying, I owe you a dollar. But uh, I'm sure Paul got the total deal this day of all this money. And Paul was so grateful for seeing Epaphroditus and so grateful um, for this financial gift that enabled him to do the work of spreading the gospel. And Paul says, you're my partners. You're the partners in the spreading of the good news. Thank you so much. So Paul pens this letter, this letter of Philippians, and gives it back to Epaphroditus and says, go back home and give this letter to the people in the church and read it to them. And we're going to read some of the things that Paul wrote on that letter today. And we're going to pick it up in... Um, verses, if you've got your Bible, uh, verse 3 and 4 of, uh, and 5 of chapter 1. And um, this book has some rich flavor in it. The word joy, rejoice is used over 16 times, and uh, Paul is really wanting to deal with this whole thing of be filled with the joy of the Lord, be happy. So I've got a question for you this morning. How do you be happy? Good question. People want to be happy. Is it more money? Is it more influence? Better job? Better house? Better car? What is the keys to it? Paul outlines and he models three things that are really important to find joy, to find happiness. These three things are giving thanks, praying with joy, and the partnerships in your lives. Really, really important. So on our slide, the first thing he pulls up is about being thankful. And I'm just going to look at a, a couple of laws around Thanksgiving. If You can just put them up there, thanks. Um, that would be a really good grant. Thanksgiving is vital for healthy, life-giving relationships. Wendy, she was so good yesterday. Oh, she's good every day. That didn't sound very good, is it? <laughs> she's so good every day. But particularly mindful was yesterday. She made me breakfast in bed because it was my birthday during the weekend. I couldn't have breakfast in bed, and we always have breakfast in bed, so I had it on Saturday. And she cooked me this beautiful meal. It was lovely, and a nice piping hot a cup of tea, and there I was. Now, just imagine if I had said to Wendy, nothing. Didn't say thank you. Didn't acknowledge it. I probably wouldn't be here today. <laughs> It's that serious. <laughs> I tell you, I kid not. <laughs> so Thanksgiving is vital for any healthy relationship. If you receive something, this exchange of thankfulness is so important to keep relationships well-oiled and well-functioning. Um, There's another law of relationships. Thanksgiving acknowledges the source. That's little s and big L. So I acknowledge the source. Wendy gave me a lovely meal. But it becomes all the richer when you honor the big source, which is God himself. When you honor God and thank him for life, for relationships. That's where the happiness that God wants or the joy that God wants us to find is in having vibrant, functioning, well-working relationships. Next one. Thanksgiving amplifies emotional connection. I can tell you when I say thank you to uh, to Wendy for that lovely meal, she felt good and I felt good. It amplifies, it makes you feel good. And the final point, thanks Grant. Don't look for health relationships, create them. If you struggle with relationships, don't look to other people and say, you're not providing this for me and you're not providing that for me. Now, you be the person who goes, I am going to create healthy relationships. And the Apostle Paul is the master of modeling how healthy relationships work. And we can see it in the first five verses, or particularly verses 3, 4, and 5 of Philippians 1. And that's what we're going to have a look at. And so developing good relationships or bad relationships are simply habits. And you can either develop good habits or poor habits. The choice is for you and me to decide. So um, let's go to the scripture here. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 and 5. This is what I'm going to sing to you. You ready? Okay, here it goes. I'm just going to read it first. I'm a bit nervous about this, I must say. Uh, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. When I read that verse, verse three, and just dwelt on it, every time I think of you, I, get, I thought, what great lyrics for a song. Every time I think of you. And here it goes. I'm really nervous. Ha, <laughs> oh, here we go. Every time I think of you, I wanna see you. I wanna be with you. I'd walk planks to say thanks, because I want to see you. So I thought, that's it. Thank you, thank you. I'll put it on iTunes next week, you can buy a copy. (laughs) I thought I'd better Google it to see if it actually is lyrics of a song. And sure enough, it is. There's several songwriters that have actually, they're starting the lyrics. They don't finish them like I do, but they're certainly starting the lyrics. So, so there we go. So <clears throat> here's this thing. Paul is modeling being thankful. Every time I think of you, I give thanks. I and mean, I reckon it's such a simple thing, and the things I'm going to go through today are really, really simple things, but here's the thing, we know them. You'll go, I know that. But you don't do that. And if you do it, the quality and the richness of our relationships all lifts and goes up. So, um, next slide, thanks Grant. So be grateful, here's key number one. Be grateful for the people in your life. For your husband, for your wife, for your children, for your friends, for your work colleagues, for your neighbors. Study after study after study by psychiatrists, um, sociologists, psychologists and others show gratitude is the key, one of the primary attitudes for building great relationships and maintaining good me- mental health. In fact, they say the more grateful you are, the happier you're gonna be. The less grateful you are, guess what? The less happier or joyful you will, you will be. So if you want to build great relationships, focus on building an attitude of gratitude. And that is expressing the goodness of God. This is for everybody to share with anybody. A simple thank you can make a big, big difference. Do you know, I was in the cafe the other day, just a few days ago, and I, I haven't had coffee for three and a half months. Do you believe that? So, yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm on to green tea, and I went up to the cafe, and I said, look, I need a, a green tea and a couple of coffees for some people that were with me. And so they were in a real, real flap, and I went up to this girl, she was just going a million miles an hour, and I said something to her, I thought, I'm going to bring goodness of God to you. And I said, man, you're efficient at doing this. And she just smiled, and I made sure her boss could hear and her boss turned around and smiled too. I thought a simple thing, and just this peace came there. And I thought, "Thank you, Jesus. She is really efficient. She's doing a great job. Let your peace be upon them." Isn't that amazing? Just a couple of seconds, words, and it changes, the, you know, um, things like that. So, <clears throat> your marriage, your relationships, gratitude is such an important attitude. Now, to be honest, the more you get to know somebody, you take them for granted, and you actually begin to see more of their faults. And when you think about them, you can go, rather than being grateful, you can think of the things that are not right. You can think they don't turn up in time, they don't do this for me, they don't do that for me, this goes wrong, that goes wrong. And the first thoughts, rather than being like Paul is saying, is gratitude, can be the very last thought that we think about people. Paul is modeling, train yourselves, build the habit, let the first thought, let it be Gratitude. Let it be one of thanksgiving. So I've got a challenge for you. Take a bit of paper, write the five most important people in your world, and write five things that you're grateful for them. Do you know, the whole thing about doing this is our memories are selective. The Apostle Paul, when he went to Philippi, it was probably his roughest church plant, wasn't his best one, it was his roughest one. He was beaten, he was hassled, he was whipped, he was humiliated, he was falsely imprisoned, he went through an earthquake at midnight, and to top it all off, the city leaders said to him, Paul, get out, leave town. But when he writes 10 years later, he says, every time I think of you, I could just imagine, he didn't say this, I want to see you, I want to be with you, I give thanks to God for you. He could have said, your city treated me really badly. They imprisoned me. They humiliated me. They asked me to leave. In fact, I'm not really interested in you guys. But Paul says, no, I'm going to be selective. I am going to be selective. I'm going to choose to focus on what I'm grateful for and choose what I'm not happy about to dismiss. There's a story of two women. They were chatting to one another. And one woman said to the other, Do you remember that your husband did such and such and such and such and such and such? It wasn't a very nice thing. And the other woman, the wife of this husband, said, Yes, I distinctly remember forgetting that. And so, what you choose to focus on, it can be the negative or it can be the positive, you choose but it'll make a huge difference to the quality of your relationships. And the Apostle Paul is not only saying, but he's modeling, I'm selective and purposely selective about being grateful. And I think it's a very good thing. Not only is it Paul who's been selective, not only is it Paul modeling that we should be selective and be grateful for people and for their influence in our lives and and not choosing to focus on the things we could complain about, God is selective with his memory. And I'm really, really pleased for you and for me that God is selective. He says this, if you've got your Bibles, in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. It is, I, I who wipe out for my own sake your offenses, your sins, I remember no more. God is saying, I select not to remember your sins anymore. I think it's good news. I think think it's fantastic news. That is absolutely brilliant. You know, as far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103 says, I have removed your sins. God has taken our sins and thrown it so far out there into the galaxies. He goes, it's lost. I don't know where it is. So what are you selecting? Is it to be grateful? And purposely choosing that. And here's this point too. Remember the best and leave the rest. I think it's a good thing. I reckon Paul, when he wrote the book of Philippians, the memory of what happened to him because he was of such a grateful attitude probably was just, oh yeah, there, but I don't want to give it any thought. I'm just so grateful for you because you are so much more important than what happened to me. And man, that builds great relationships. The next thing is to, thanks, uh, we'll go to the next slide, is whenever I pray, I might request four of you with joy. Now just imagine, uh, there's somebody that, just think about somebody that you don't get on well with. They irritate you, they nag you, they upset you. Now don't look at them. (laughs) You got that person? I'm sure you don't have many. How do you feel about that person rather than thinking of them and nagging and complaining if you then go, I'm going to pray for them? I'm going to pray. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. Every time I think of you, I pray. You know, I've learned over the years, there were some things about Wendy that she wanted to change in me, and I wanted to change some things in her. But she's got a lot, lot better over the years. She's amazing. I saw that. Look, Daniel didn't come out quite right, did it? You can't try and change another person. The only person you can really change is yourself. And with relationships to other people, what Paul is modelling here is get off the bandwagon of trying to change others and get into the groove of praying for others. And when you do that, you've got thanksgiving. You're praying into your relationships. You are setting the foundation to build great relationships. And that is key to see a church grow and flourish. It's key for your family. This is key for your marriage, key for home, key for work, key for church. Praying for one another. I love this. When people come up to me occasionally and say, Pastor, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. I go. Oh, you have made my day. That is is like the sound of music. It is just wonderful. Isn't it wonderful when somebody says, I've been praying for you? It's so uplifting. And here's the church in Philippi. It's not just anybody. It's the Apostle Paul who's praying for them. And we've got a record of his prayer. And we can pray this prayer for one another. And so we're going to have a look at what he prayed. So, And this is what he said in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. This is how he prays. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit. That's Galatians 5, 21 and 22. Love, joy, peace, faith, goodness, Um, gentleness the fruit of the spirit of your salvation the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ for this will bring much glory and praise to God isn't that awesome so Paul is saying don't complain don't try and change somebody begin to pray for them begin to pray and he's saying pray this way, pray four things. If you're taking notes, take these four things down because I haven't got a slide for them. Pray they will grow in love. Do you know what I've found, one of the most helpful prayers I've ever prayed, and I pray, not all the time, but I've, when I do, I, I, I just feel so different. I pray, Father, help me love Jesus the way you love him. Holy Spirit, help me love Father God the way you love him. Help me love my wife the way you love her. When you pray that way, and when you pray that way for other people, be ready for God to explode and move. Because guess what? Complaining and nagging and nitpicking, does that change anything? No. Does prayer change things? Yep. So pray that they will grow in love. The next thing Paul says, pray that they will make wise choices. Third thing, pray that they will live with integrity. And fourthly, pray they will become like Jesus. Where have we heard that before? Whenever, wherever. Be like Jesus. Expect the best from people. And pray into your relationships. It's really simple, isn't it? But it's not easy to do. So be grateful for the people in your life. Be selective about that. Rather than nagging and complaining, pray. And those four points pray that they uh, will grow in the love, pray that they will make wise choices, pray that they will be people of integrity, and pray that they will become more and more like Jesus. And then, thirdly, Paul goes on to say the third point to building great relationships is that we've got to be grateful, we've got to pray for one another, and then is understand partnerships. Thanks. Next slide. Uh, Grant, that would be great. Take care in who you partner with, it has the potential to make you or break you. The word partner that Paul uses in the Bible here is the word koinonia. It's a very rich word that our, our English language has a lot of difficulty translating. It's used 19 times, and it means to share. It means to have fellowship. It means to have communion. It means to be together. It, it, it's all about being on the same page. And as a church, I want to encourage us. I believe the Lord would say this. Be all on the same page. It's for everybody to share the goodness of God with anybody. It's for all of us. We're partners with Jesus and partners with one another to share the goodness of God. And I think it's just got to be good. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9, Paul said this. God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says. He has invited you into partnership, koinonia, with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you're a young person here today, and I I say this, I don't want to offend anybody, but be really careful with the choice of partner, life partner you make. It's a very important choice. Seek wise counsel. Talk with your parents. That partnership. God designs to last a lifetime. I know they don't always go that way, but you need to take care of it. Mum and Dad, partnerships that you make to parent your kids is really, really important. Partnering the attitudes of gratefulness, partnering the attitude of praying for them, establishing good partnerships. I think of the partnerships of friendships that I have in this church. And elsewhere, and I go, I thank God for friendship. Those partnerships are special, they're really, really special. And as a church, God calls us into partnership with Him for His purposes to express the goodness of God. And you know, it's so easy to share the goodness of God. Whether it's baking a cake for a neighbor, giving a coffee to somebody. I was in the Path Lab the other week, a couple of weeks ago, having a blood test. Do it every 12 to 18 months or so. And um, I was there. I don't particularly like needles, but I thought I'd better go and get the thing done, go and get checked out. And as this lady was poking these needles into me, you you have some of the weirdest conversations when people are sort of prodding you and and doing all sorts of stuff to you, don't you? And uh, this lady said... You know, I've got a niece, she's just not doing good. She was such a beautiful girl as a seven and eight-year-old. But now she's 17 and 18. She's into drugs. um, Her life is off track. She's pregnant. And it's just, it's so, so sad. And she was just pouring out her heart to me. And I thought, here's an opportunity to express the goodness of God. Am I going to do it or am I not? And I said to her, would you like me to pray with you? Just real simple. Would you like me to pray with you? And she said, oh, please. So I prayed with her, and she said, thank you so much. Just like that, anybody, everybody here can share the goodness of God with anybody. And when we build gratitude, when we build prayer, when we build partnerships, wow, it's incredible. We're all on the same page, all doing what God has called us to do. Last slide, thanks. Rowing, I really enjoy rowing. When I used to do a bit of this, I was in, a, in an eight, boat of eight, and um, we, were, we looked like these guys, really sharp. But do you know, when I was putting that all into the water, I felt I was the only guy that was rowing. I was putting myself and seven other people, and I was thinking, you guys, you better pull your weight, because I'm sure covering my fair share of things. And I reckon everybody else probably felt the same. It looked good. But it just wasn't unified. And the coach who was in his nice boat having his latte coffee, yelling out orders and barking all sorts of things at us, he said this, you guys look like a pig's breakfast. Oh, that's really great. Thanks very much, mate. I'm pulling my guts out here and <laughs> you think look like a pig's breakfast. But what he said next absolutely transformed us. He said this, now row is one. And instantly, and I'll never forget this, the boat just lifted out of the water. The power went on, and we were flying. We were one. Before that, we were eight individual people. But the moment he said that, row is one, we were off. And we are one in Christ. And the power of the Holy Spirit is in us and upon every one of us to share God's goodness whenever and wherever. And God uses us through our relationships of building gratitude, of praying for one another, and praying for people and our partnerships to express his goodness. I think there's one more slide. Thanks, Grant. This is for everybody to share with anybody. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say that one more time? This is for everybody to share with anybody. So church, I want to really encourage you. Let's follow the model of the Apostle Paul who so beautifully laid out this three-step plan. It's so simple. We know what to do. Let's go and do it. Be grateful. Pray for one another. Build on partnerships to express the goodness of God. And we let us be one as we do that. Can I ask you to stand to your feet? you're here this morning, maybe this is your first or second time, and maybe you've been here a number of times, but you know your relationships are not where they should be. And in particular, you know that your relationship with Jesus Christ Himself is not where it should be. This morning, He's given an invitation to you to step into the boat. There's more than enough room for you. And he's a great coach. And he says, come on in. This is your place. This is where you belong. And the time is now. If you know that's you this morning, maybe your heart's beating faster than what it normally does. Or every eye is closed and head bowed. Can you give me a wave? Just take a few moments. here today and going, Lord, thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul. Thank you for his leadership on what it means to be grateful and what it means to pray for others and what it means to be in partnership. Say, Lord, I want to step it up another level. I want to go another step forward with you on this journey. If that's you this morning, can you raise your hand? I'd love to pray with you. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the message that the Apostle Paul penned, inspired by your Holy Spirit, to this church community about 2,000 years ago. May we as a church, 2,000 years on, be a people that are grateful, a people that pray for one another, and a people that partner with you And one another to see the goodness of God expressed in our city and in our nation and the nations that Jesus' name would be made famous and everyone said Amen, God bless you, thank you church Let's give Pastor Ray a hand
4: That was an excellent message That was good But it's okay to hear a good message but what are we going to do with it? So let's just pause right now. I want each of us, what's one thing you're going to do this week that's different because of what you've just heard? Is it gratefulness? Are you going to specifically be grateful about something? Is it choosing to forget something that someone's done and reconcile a relationship? Is it going to choose to start to pray for someone? What is it? Pick something. What are you going to do? Cool. I hope you got something. Write it down. Set an alarm. Do something in your phone to make sure that you don't forget. But take something that we've heard from today and apply it. Because what Pastor Ray shared this morning was fantastic for not just transforming us on the inside, but the world around us as well. Hey, can I encourage you, church, to remember to be purposed in our giving? So there's, uh, there's giving stations in, the, in both foyers, um, or you can grab one of these cards from the back of the seat, and there's the bank account details on there. Um, I just do everything via internet banking, or you can do AP. Um, be purposed in our giving in order to, in, in the, into the kingdom of God. So can I can encourage you with that. And for, for the guests, if you're a guest this morning, remember to grab one of these bags just on your right as you head into the foyer. That's awesome. Okay, let's finish with a song. Have you got something for us, Sarah?
2: Yeah. Always. Great. Endless praise.